Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. John 9, that's what we're in, John 9. In John chapter 9, there comes a point where something is very different that happens that has not happened in the rest of the book, or at least in the book up until that point. You have to understand that there came a point where the disciples had to ask themselves, why is this happening? The disciples have actually seen some incredible things. Uh, do you remember that moment where the paralytic, the guy who was paralyzed, they took the roof off and they lowered him down? Do you remember the two blind men? They were beggars and Jesus healed them. He healed that paralytic. Jesus one time actually was at a funeral of a widow whose son, or her son had died. He healed the boy in the funeral. Jesus had a guy whose hand was withered and he brought it back all the way. He restored his hand. There was a guy who was mute and he was filled with demons and God had uh, allowed those demons to be delivered and now the man could speak. All of this happened before this miracle we're about to see in John chapter nine. But there's something different about this miracle. You see, there came a point where the disciples saw so much devastation, they saw so much calamity, they saw so much hurting, they knew God could heal, they knew God could restore, but there came a point where they saw so much pain, they had to ask, why? You know, you have to understand that what we're going to look at in this text, this man was born blind and the disciples, we can very much assume that they knew that. They most likely had seen him for years. When I say years, they saw him as a little blind boy become a blind man. And at that time, if you were blind, that meant that you were an outcast socially, that you were on the lower end of the totem pole. There were no blind dogs. There were no, there, there were no walking sticks. There was no braille. There was no system to catch someone like him. If you were born blind, the minute that you were born, it was known you were going to be a beggar for life. And the disciples, after all this time, they, again, they seen somebody be healed from blindness. When you look at all the gospels, not in this particular book, when you look at all the gospels and you look at the chronology of healing, they've actually seen somebody receive their sight again. And I'm sure they're thinking to themselves, well, God's about to do it again. Jesus is about to do it again. He's about to heal somebody. But for some reason, they had to ask, why? And I think we do that when we've seen too much pain. When we see something happen again and again and again, and even though we know God can come through, there's something about the devastation of pain, seeing pain happen so often that you begin to ask, okay, how does this keep happening? We want to live in a rational world, not a random one. We want to take away all mystery and we want to know this happens for a cause. There's a causality. And so because we want that, because we want to take away all mystery, 
We, we understand what goes around comes around. You make your bed and you lie in it. You reap what you sow. And we feel better when we can think to ourselves, if I live by the rules, I'll get the benefits. Therefore, rule breakers get all the consequences. And we want to live in a world of consequence and reward. And on some level, we do. When you're driving and you've been driving the speed limit because you love God, right? You've been driving, right? And you've been driving the speed limit. And then there's that person that's just zooming by. You know the person that's going so fast that you're just like, oh my gosh, how can you do that? And they're zooming by. And then a mile later, you look and they're pulled over by the police. And what do you do? You go, Hmm. You look at them like, hmm, right, right? There's a part of you that's like, you're getting what you deserve. You should have slowed down. And you look and you like, you, you rubberneck and you give them that look. You look them dead in the eye and you're like, you're getting what you, sh- you deserve. Why? Because we believe that consequences and rewards based upon what you deserve is the way that world, the world works oftentimes. It's easier than... When we see people all around the world, at times, it's easier to have a casual attitude towards pain and suffering when we equate it as something that someone deserves. Think about Job's friend. If you've ever read the book of Job, Job then lost his whole family, house, home, all this. And what did Job's friends say in Job chapter four? In verse eight, they says, as I've seen it, those who plow iniquity sow trouble, reap the same. What they're saying is, life I live, you, you, what'd you do, Job? You must have done something to deserve this. And we live a world, we live in a world where It's easier to categorize people as living in their consequences as opposed to a world that's mysterious, that has bigger things happening. We know the story of Jacob Blake. The facts seem to say he was breaking up a fight. The facts also tell us that there was some kind of altercation that he got into with the police. The facts tell us that His kids were in the car. But we also understand that what we saw with our eyes on the video was a man walking away from the police, all of a sudden pulled on the back of his shirt, shot seven times in the back, and now he's paralyzed. For some, we see how that was a complex situation with a lot of ramifications and a lot of elements. And yet we're looking at him saying, man, another person is shot walking away unarmed, at least with a gun. But for some, it's easy for them to have a quick response and say, well, you know, well, you know, what about black on black crime? I mean, I mean What do you mean black on black? I mean, if black people are always shooting themselves, I mean, so what you're saying is he deserves it because black people shoot themselves? Is that what you're saying? Or maybe you're saying the fact that he was walking away, somehow he deserves it. In other words, when you look at moments like this and your knee-jerk reaction is he must be getting what he deserved, then what you want to do is simplify the world in categories of consequence. And oftentimes the people that create categories of consequence are receiving the benefits of a different world. 
They think they're the ones driving the speed limit all the time. But maybe the cops just don't look at them when they drive. You see, the reality is that when you simplify the world in the category of consequence, you lose the mystery of God's sovereignty that there's something bigger happening. John chapter nine, if you'd go there, we're gonna see how Jesus is gonna blow up these categories. He's not gonna allow his disciples to think of people that simply. He's not gonna allow his disciples to think of life in simplified categories. John nine, Jesus is passing by. He saw a blind man from birth and his disciples asked him. Now, mind you, it says he passed by, he saw a blind man. So what that means is Jesus was walking by, he sees the blind man, and the disciples go, here you go. He about to do that. Watch, watch, watch. He about to do that thing. He about to heal him, right? You gonna do, you gonna heal him. And so they have, all of a sudden they go, hey, okay, oh, go, 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 ho, ho, ho. Before you heal him, can you just tell, like, what did he do to deserve this? Was it his parents, him? what he do? And... They say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And it is amazing because they didn't even ask, is this the cause? Is this someone's fault? They asked, whose fault is it? Because they had walked around in a world having a rationale of sin, which was deeply embedded in their culture and an assumption they had for those who they saw were in pain. Maybe this man was born blind because there's something in his background. Maybe it's the family that wasn't there for him. Maybe there was something they were doing. There's gotta be something that you've done. What did you do to deserve this? But I think it is important to know, we're gonna jump into that false way of thinking. But if the disciples thought that, you know who probably thought it too? The blind man. As he sat there every day blind as a little boy, and all of a he became a man, he, in his back of his mind, he must've been thinking, what, what do I do to deserve this? You ever have that go through your head? I mean, there's sometimes, you know, you, you, you failed the test because what? You didn't study. Like there's some things you get, but then there's some things you go, I, I, I don't deserve this. This is not adding up. This is too much. This world is, is getting too corrupt. The, the pain is too much. Things are adding up. I mean, you know, the racial inequity, global pandemics, I, there's just too much happening. And then I got to fight with my friends to actually believe me when I say black lives matter. There's a point where we get to a point of too much. And then there's a lie that can be embedded in our soul. For some of you, as I speak, you realize that you operate in a world where you simplify the categories of this world and the problems of this world as your fault. Maybe that's something you heard in your home. Maybe that was how you have motivated yourself by beating yourself up. 
but you categorize, you simplify by seeing yourself as the problem. Maybe you do it for your parents. Maybe your parents are the problem. But if I could, I think it's important to elevate our thinking about how this world is set up and what's wrong. You have to understand that there are types of evil that cause this world to be off course. There is, of course, human evil. Human evil that at times you do. Sin, you know you're doing it, you know you wanted to do it, and when you got caught, you caught the consequences and you knew you were wrong. But also part of human evil is when a young boy in Brooklyn is sitting out at a barbecue and at 11.39 at night, all of a sudden, shots ring out at night. And the boy is shot. And we just think to ourselves, why? Because people have a sin problem. We don't do what we know is right. And so there's human evil in this world that we feel, but there is also systemic evil. And systemic evil is nothing more than when evil people get together and make a plan. And, but the, the uniqueness of systemic evil versus human evil is that systemic evil can become part of a culture so easily. It's kind of like you ever have a music come on and all of a sudden you find yourself nodding. You don't even know you're nodding. It just, it's just the way it is. It's just something in the background. You just find yourself moving. That's how systemic evil can work. It's all of a sudden you find yourself like, oh, I guess I can't get a house here. I guess, I guess this is where the rich people live. I guess education works this way. In other words, systems become embedded in the culture so much that they become the rhythm of a culture that you, you think think it's right because it looks right. It sounds right. It's always been that way, but that does not mean that it is God's intention. Systemic evil is in this world and it divides rich from poor, black from right. But there's a third type of evil and it is natural evil. And natural evil is a hurricane coming to people in Texas and Louisiana. They didn't do nothing. They just decided to live in the South. And all of a sudden, homes are gone and people die. And natural evil is the Black Panther. We didn't know the man while he was wearing an imaginary suit of impenetrable armor in the movie he was doing chemotherapy. We didn't know. Natural evil is in this world. And we are suffering from all types of evil because the world is not moving in how it has been designed. The world is broken and there is suffering all around us. And so when when things happen, we can't simply individualize it and say, well, this particular sin is happening because I did this particular thing. We can't simplify it and say, well, these people were just doing wrong. We can't simplify it because we take away the larger story of suffering in this world. 
that there's all types of suffering. Tim Keller would put it this way, suffering is not only in this world, the world itself is suffering. Suffering is all part of this world. The world is suffering. The world is broken. The world is toxic. The world itself and its inhabitants are all off course and things are not working the way they're supposed to be. And yes, there are times when categories can be simplified, but most of the time, evil is complex and the world is in chaos and things are not working as they should. But if I could just say a word to the one who keeps blaming themselves for the consequences of their life, don't you know, just in a chapter before, Jesus protected a woman who was about to get stoned? Do you know in, in Romans chapter eight, it says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? that Jesus protects a woman from condemnation and he wants to protect you from condemnation? And part of the reason why we want to blame ourselves and beat ourselves up is because we don't think Jesus paid enough of our debt. You want God to make two payments for one debt. And I get it because there have been some things you've done you did maybe fudge some numbers one time. You do have secrets. And so you're trying to live in a world where you think God is paying you back for the things you've done. And, and it's because you don't think the payment on the cross was enough. And I get it. I went out one time I won't name drop, amen, but I went out one time with someone who, you know when somebody invites you to a restaurant where you know you have no business in there? Like even the appetizer, you're just like, I can't even, what, I can't, can I just get lettuce and water? That's all I want, I just don't want anything, right? The minute you look at the menu, you're like, I'm broke. And you're just like, hey, and they go, I got you. And you're like, oh. And they go, what you, then you ask them, what you getting, right? And it's just like, they're like, I'm getting that $80 thing. I'm like, I'm getting that $80 thing too, praise God, right? And you feel more confident, you feel good, right? Then, then, right, they, you get to the end of the night, tip, com check comes, and you, you know what you do? You put your, you put your, like that, that dead arm, like. Now you know you don't want to and you know you can't, right? But you go, and they go, I got you. Right, right, right? They go, they go, I got you. And you know what you do? You know what you do? You go, you sure? Now you know, you know you can't afford it. You know, you know you're broke. You know your, your, your bank account is praying right now. It is interceding for you. You know you can't pay, but you go, you sure? And that is what we do in our soul. In our soul. When we, when we have things happen to us and when we've sinned deeply, we, we pray and we come and we say, oh, I pour out my praise and we praise God. But when something goes wrong, there's something in our soul that says, I know that you died on the cross for my sins and I know Jesus paid it all, but are you, you sure? Because I feel like I should pay some too. And when you pay the bill with Jesus, you get the glory with Jesus. And Jesus won't share his glory. He gets all the praise because he paid all the debt. You just go ahead and say amen, amen? amen, amen. So then, so with all that, 
Jesus turns a corner, a corner in this conversation because all of a sudden, looking back in John chapter nine, he says, it was not the man, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming when no one can work. What? What just happened? We were just asking, I mean, literally the disciples are like, yo, what happened with this man? Was his parents, you know? And all of a sudden Jesus is like, don't even worry about that. He starts talking about putting in work. What Jesus is gonna do in the rest of this chapter is he is going to heal this man. He is going to bring his sight to him. He had never seen before. And when he says the works of God, and then he says we must work the works of God, the work that Jesus did in this moment was healing. And healing he therefore is defining as a work of God and he then employs his disciples and says, this is the kind of work that we do. And essentially what was happening in that moment is God was letting them know that your never ending job description while you are on earth is to do the work of restoration in a broken world. He is acknowledging to the church that the business of getting people back into their original design, which is essentially what restoration is, is God's intended work for the church. So if you see, if you, if you buy a car that is older and then you restore it, if you bought a 1968 Chevrolet car, whatever, I don't even know all the names of them. I was talking to Mike Craig the other day. He's like, oh, that's a Chevrolet Z70. I was like, Mike, I don't even know what you're talking about. But, but y'all know what I'm talking about. One of those old looking cars, right? And you know, there's people who love to restore them. They just love restoring cars. And they take pictures and this is what it looked like. And, and what they're saying is this is how it was intended to look. And, and the work of restoration. And then he says, he needs, and then all of a sudden, the disciples who are like, well, you know, why is this? They're asking like a philosophical, theological question. He starts saying, and y'all need to get to work too. Because it is our business to do the work of helping people in a suffering world. In many ways, what Jesus says is stop asking the question of why are they suffering and get to the work of healing. Why don't you start helping me change people instead of asking why they're in the conditions they're in, help them get out of that condition. For some reason, y'all, God uses people in the work of restoration. Isn't that a miracle? When you pray the Lord's Prayer and you ask God for daily bread, God could do it. God could, like, like an Amazon package, he could bring bread to your door every day, freshly break bread from God. It could have from God on there. It could be a, an angel and just from God, right? God could give you what you need every day through him and circumvent human intervention. But for some reason, when we pray for daily bread, God decided to use a farmer who plants and then he uses a baker who makes the flour 
and then he has a business sell it. You see, God just doesn't give us daily bread. He uses humans in a process of giving us what we need. When you ask for healing, God could immediately heal you. And sometimes he does. And I pray God continue to heal people through no human intervention. But oftentimes he will use a human to come pray over you. He'll use a doctor to understand you. He'll use a nurse and a pharmacist and a lab technician. God, for some reason, uses people to restore a broken world. He's saying to the disciples, you're asking why people are in pain. I'm saying we need to get to work. And so what we are to do as a church is we are to spend our energy helping people restore the design that God has intended them. But you have to understand, people that only ask questions about why people are in the situations they're in are people who don't know the power that God has given them. You see, the disciples didn't fully realize that God was inviting them into the work with them, not to watch the work from him. When you only gaze at people suffering and you never walk in the work of restoration, you presume you're powerless. But God has given you the power to protest when we see systems go wrong, to plan when no one else is planning, to march, to act, to pray, to sing, because he's put power in his church in the restoration. We are in the restoration business, y'all. In a world that is suffering. And so Jesus says it, it's not the man that sinned. Y'all are asking the wrong questions. It's really about the work that we need to do. And two things to notice. He says, we must work the works of him who sent me in verse four, while it's day. He said, night's coming when no one can work. He said, this broken world will one day be no more. And one day we will be in a world, an entire world that is working by its intended process. In other words, that's the kingdom of God. And we will be with him. And so he literally tells them, y'all, get to work while you have time on earth because we don't know when our time is. This is what we learned from the Chadwick Bozemans of the year 2020. This is what we learned from the Kobe Bryants in the year 2020. We learned that, he says, while you still have time, Leave a legacy of restoration. If there is something broken in your home, in your town, in your neighborhood, in your family, get to the work of restoring now while you have time. He says, do it now. Do that work before time is over. And the pinnacle of this is back in verse three, where Jesus says that the works of God, here's what, you ask me why this man is born blind? God allowed him to be born blind. It wasn't his intention. God allowed him to be born blind. 
But in allowing him to face the suffering and the pain and the devastation of blindness, he also wanted to put on display healing. That God's intention is that he would bring glory to himself by allowing people to suffer with all types of ailments and all types of pains and insecurities, and yet he wants to put on display his work as he heals, as he restores. And so in John 9, 24 and 25, the Pharisees come to this man after he had been healed and they say, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answers. Whether he is a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And the man was being put on display. If you think of a, of a display case where you're wanting to show off your best, God is showing off his work and his glory by showing someone who everyone had passed over. The debate in John 9 is, did this really happen to you? And are you the man that was always laying on the road? This can't be you. And he says, look, y'all can have your theological debate. I just know a man named Jesus, can't, is he a sinner? I don't know. I just know I was blind and now I see. And the implications, church, is that if we get to work, if we get to work with fixing broken systems, with helping people who are hurting, with walking with the suffering, if we get to work, then there will be all types of testimonies God will put on display. No, and, and what we get to do, see my daughters, right now we moved into a new apartment, amen? And I, I'd be like, put that over there because they're my kids. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so I have a, in my mind's eye, I want that picture over there. I want that chair over there. I want that piece of art over there. And I want to put it on display. And my daughters love it because they, they love to see the finished work. And so they, you know, my Faith's over there putting up a picture and she's like, ah. And she gets the joy of being a part of the vision of the display I want to make. In other words, we get to be a part of the process of watching God change people's lives. And as he puts them on display, we get to be like, I remember when she was broken, but now, now I see she's found. I remember that girl when she was anxious, but now she found peace. I remember that guy when he was, he needed healing. And I remember praying for him and Jesus did it. And one day these people are going to say, Jesus did it. I don't know. I'm not a theologian, but Jesus did it. I, I just know that I came in this place and I was hurting and Jesus did it. And we get to be a part of helping them know Jesus did it. And he says, get to work, y'all. Stop spending your time getting caught up in the political ideation of who's right and who's wrong. Stop getting caught up in trying to figure out policy. We need people involved in the political world. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying the suffering people in this world don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican when you help heal them. When you are involved in the work 
You spend your energy in fixing the problem. So church, while it's still day, involve yourself in the work of healing a broken world. Father, we thank you for putting people on display. God, thank you that you've involved us in the process of putting people on display. Oh God, forgive us for getting caught up in the the back and forth of why are people in the situation they're in and let us, God, pour our lives into the work of restoration and putting people on display to give God glory. God, be glorified in us. Be glorified in your church. Be glorified in your people. Oh, Holy Spirit, even now, would you redefine someone's theology of vocation? That they would see their work, not just as a paycheck, but as a place to bring restoration? Whether they are driving a bus or they're running for president, God, I pray that we would see the highest calling is walking in your will to do ministry and work in this world in a suffering, broken world. Unleash your people to do the work. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.